First Thessalonians chapter 3. Sure enjoyed the service Sunday night by way of video. I got the other perspective. I had to uh, have a medical procedure in the hospital Monday morning, which was an ordeal, and uh, hadn't got the results back, so I don't know what the results is going to be, but trust in the Lord. But uh, Brother Jeremy did a great job, but it sure was different watching TV, uh, watching church from home, amen? And believe me, if I could have been here, I would have been here sitting on the back row or something, amen? It's too risky. First Thessalonians chapter 3, I want to uh, take up where I left off last week. Uh, we had our video uh, uh, go down last week. I think we're borrowing a computer tonight, and we voted to buy a new one. Uh, so go ahead and get it in, uh, sound men, and we'll get that uh, started. And we appreciate all these young visitors coming. I don't know where they came from, how they got here, but I'm just glad they're here. Amen. Had seven baptized Sunday morning. That was a blessing. And um, i tell you what, it was a joy to see these parents bring their children and watch them get baptized. They got saved recently. And uh, let's pray for the parents that dedicated their children to the Lord. Some people dedicate their babies to the Lord show up a year later. That's not what it's all about. It's being faithful to bring up a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You never train a child in the way you should go unless you walk that way first. Amen? And so we're glad to have each one of you here. Glad to have Brother Andrew and his family with us. And uh, appreciate Brother Pete bringing these visitors all the way from Florida. That's a blessing. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, we're going to uh, uh, read and preach, read and preach, so I won't have you stand uh, immediately, but I want you to notice and review verses 1 through 6. It says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Now, the reason is there was an extreme persecution. Intense is the word uh, that he used. Shamefully entreated, verse 2 of chapter 2. And Paul thought it would ease up if he left town, but it didn't. Because they weren't for, after Paul, they were after the gospel. And folks, we're not, we're not important enough to be persecuted. It's the one we represent is the reason we're persecuted. But I want to talk to you, uh, preach to you tonight about strong faith. Strong faith and what it does in our lives. Uh, look at verse 2. And he sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer. It's good to have some people to labor with in the gospel of Christ, to establish you. That's what the, Miss Katie was talking about, discipleship. And to comfort you concerning, and five times this phrase is mentioned in these next verses, your faith. I want you to notice every time he mentions that, he's checking on their faith. As I said last week, uh, a church evaluation is not nickels and noses and numbers of pews and facilities. The Lord always, or Paul always commended in the first paragraph of every epistle three things. And it's evaluation of a good church. Love, faith, and hope. Check me out. Just read the first paragraph, usually about the first chapter, of every epistle. And before that epistle's even introduced, Paul's commending, thankful, praying, checking up on their faith, their hope, and their love. Matter of fact, a mature Christian is evaluated by their faith, their hope, and their love. Look at verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. 
And for verily, when you were with you, we told you before that you should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know it was a rough time for these Thessalonians. And for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know, here it is, your faith, lest by some means the tempter, having tempted you, and our labor be in vain. And now when Timotheus came from you, uh, from you unto us and brought us good tidings, he had a glowing report, of, here it is, your faith. I've got it in bright yellow. And it says, and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Look at verse 7 now. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in our afflictions and distress by your faith. Boy, this is important. For now we live if we stand fast in the Lord, and that thanks can be rendered to God again for you, for all the joy wherein we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face, good pastor, and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord made you to increase and abound in love one towards another and towards all men, even as we do towards you. And to the end we may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. That's the judgment seat of Christ even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Father, use your word tonight. Thank you, God, for um, the many workers that are laboring and teaching and discipling these children tonight. And, uh, Lord, I pray for every one of them that's lost that they get under Holy Ghost conviction as these teachers plant the holy seed of the word of God in their hearts. We pray, dear God, that many will be converted uh, before this year is out. So, Lord, help us and increase our faith. As the disciples prayed, Lord, we want to pray the same thing. Lord, we need to increase our faith. We need to have more faith. And Lord, I pray, dear God, that you'd use this message as we started last week on this subject of strong faith in our lives to stop trying to trace you and start trusting you. Lord, thank you for this young lady, 27 years old, single, uh, going uh, over 7,000 miles away, uh, 32 hours, one-way plane, plane trip uh, with all the layovers. And God, she's brave and she's courageous, but she knows she's obeying you. And I pray, God, you bless her for that. And so, Lord, thank you for this message. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel like we need to review, and I want you to see that the strong faith is, is not moved, number one, by trials. Uh, the believers should expect trials. The Bible says in John 16, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now, we must admit, John 15 talks about it, and I won't go into it like I did last week. We need to realize we're appointed to persecution because of who, we re who we're, re uh, who we're uh, representing and who we're reaching. I want to tell you something. If you live for God, your godly life is a rebuke to the facade of religious people. It's the facade of the lost. And Paul's concern was they stand fast in the faith. 
fast in the faith. And so the first thing you need to realize about strong faith is that it will be tried and it'll be tested. And folks, by faith, we need to realize that we are more than conquerors through Christ, but it's not always a picnic. There is assault on our faith and the devil wants to sift our faith, Luke chapter 22, as he warned uh, Peter. But he said, I have prayed for thee. Isn't that a blessing? And we know that the Lord has prayed for us. So they were shamefully treated, mocked, mocked and ridiculed and cursed, verbally attacked. And then they were also physically attacked. And uh, folks, the strong faith is not moved by trials. And so we need to realize tonight uh, we ought to expect trouble. We don't need to look for trouble. We just need to expect it and know that if you're, you're going against the world, there'll be friction. You go the same way the world, there'll be little friction. And so we see, first of all, uh, the truth is that we need to realize that believers must know that they're appointed uh, to faith. John chapter 15, the Bible says, they'll hate you because they first hated me. And folks, they persecute you. Uh, men's idea of God is some supreme grandfather that uh, gives you anything you want. But folks, I want to tell you something. There is a condition, and that's obedience. That's obedience. And then number two, believers must know that the temptation to cave in uh, to these persecutions uh, is from the tempter, Satan himself. Uh, we must stand if we're going to reach the world. We must be different. We must be a salt that has some flavor or savior. We need to be a light that doesn't blink on and off. We don't need to be a dim light. We need to be a light set up on a hilltop that through our works, God can be glorified. And um, I want you to know, second of all, strong faith bears an excellent testimony. That's what I want to preach on tonight. Uh, there's one thing you can't afford to lose, and that's your testimony. A lot of preachers have lost their testimony. A lot of young people lose their testimonies. Married couples lose their testimonies. And it's a shame when mom and daddy lose their testimony because you ought to be proof positive evidence of the reality of God to your children. Amen? And so the church was standing fast in their faith. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. The Bible says this. It says, fight the good fight of faith. I, th I believe Brother Jeremy preached on that Sunday night. What a blessing. I was listening. Uh, lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I'll tell you something, friend. If you'll just be faithful, that's a good witness. And if you'll have faith, don't trust yourself, don't trust this world, definitely don't trust politics. Trust God, the preeminent one. The, the, he still reigns. He's still on the right hand of God, and we need to realize that. And so number three, a strong faith stirs the heart of others. And this is what I'll get to also tonight in verse 7. It says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you. Who was comforted? The apostle Paul. And the apostle Paul is going through a terrible time according to Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. Uh, Paul's in Corinth when Timothy arrives uh, with the glorious news that there's still strong faith in Thessalonica. And folks, that encouraged because he was under fierce persecution. Um, if you'll read uh, sometimes 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 11 that he was beat five times and stoned five times and shipwrecked and nakedness and in the cares of his, of his own church. And uh, folks, he lists, he lists this long list of terrible persecution, terrible persecution. 
And so how was he comforted? How was he encouraged? How was he strengthened? Well, the word affliction means choking, intense pressure, stress. Distress means crushing trouble. And so remember, Paul was there going through this trouble, and he was comforted. He was comforted. Our faith can be used of God to strengthen and encourage others, especially your spiritual leaders. Uh, we don't have any young people left in here, and we have no children left in here, but I, I, I will say it to them, and I'll say it to you. There's no greater joy than our children walk in truth. 3 John verse 4. No greater joy. There's no greater heartache when they leave the faith and when they don't live for God and when they compromise and when they go with the world and they go with the flow and uh, they uh, give in to peer pressure. Uh, and folks, listen, uh, you can really encourage your parents if you'll live for God. You can, you can encourage them more than you'll know is that when children turn out right and live for God, it honors the parents, but also it encourages the parents that it's worth it all. And it's, it's worth it no matter what, but I'm going to tell you, it stirred the minister's heart as never before. He was encouraged as a spiritual leader. Look at it. He says, for what, verse 7, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distress by your faith. And so you encourage weaker Christians, but you encourage stronger Christians. And so uh, the news that the church was standing fast in their faith was, was um, brought great joy to Paul's heart. Look at verse 9. It says, now we live, or verse 8, for now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherein we joy for your sakes before our God? And so, folks, there were great joy. There was great comfort, encouragement. That's what the word comfort means. And there was great joy. And, folks, I don't know what brings joy to your heart, but I'll tell you what brings joy to my heart as a pastor. When the sheep don't, does not go to, astray and the sheep begat other sheep and the sheep are faithful to stay in the flock and when the sheep glorify the shepherd. Amen. There's nothing like it. We're not in it for our glory we're not here to be patted on the back. I've been here 43 years in my first church. But I want to tell you something, friend. The most encouraging times uh, in the ministry is when children grow up and live for God. And uh, they go off to the mission field. Uh, Brother Kevin Hall uh, could have had a $100,000 scholarship at VMI. And he gave it up and went to Crown College. Uh, and uh, now, now he's uh, started several churches in South Africa and and he's doing much more than the NFL could ever uh, give him. Much more than that college uh, scholarship could have gave him. And uh, then he reached his brother, Jeremy, and he preached Sunday night. And uh, Brother Jeremy's conquering that terrible, no, I shouldn't say terrible language, that difficult language. Amen? That clicking, coasting language. I don't know how in the world. And my daughter's uh, got that down, and Mark's got it down, and the children, it's easier for them but it's harder for the, for the adults. And folks, it makes me excited to hear about Brother uh, Gregory reaching all these souls over uh, 35 years in, in the Rock of Ages. Uh, it's just a blessing. And folks, when uh, people take a Sunday school class, they build a bus route. Uh, uh, Brother um, Petty was at the top of the steps telling me the whole history of these kids 
uh, right before I baptized them. She's been here two years. She hadn't missed a Wednesday night in two years. I mean, this, these weren't novice. These were kids that really meant business. They were young, but praise God, they were converted by the grace of God. And God used Brother Petty. But I want to tell you something. When they got baptized, you could look up there and see the tears streaming down Brother Petty's face. You could see the smile upon his face. You could see the joy upon his heart. You could even hear it in his voice that, it, that God was blessing his life to be a blessing to these young kids that have no homes to speak of and that needed the Lord so much and they got saved and now they're going, being obedient in baptism and they're living by faith. And so folks, what have you done uh, to, to encourage someone else by your walk, by your talk, by your profession of faith? And I'm not talking about just coming down and make it public, you got saved, but walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Anybody can talk it. But folks, we need to walk it. We need to have a profession of faith. And we need to make sure that people know that we are believers. And that we live by faith. And so don't give up. God will use you to encourage even an Apostle Paul, a pastor, a missionary. Don't you think it's a great encouragement when missionaries come back to Whitfield Baptist Church and we're still here and we're still together and we still love each other and we still love God and we still have faith promise conferences and we're still taking on more missionaries? Don't you think they're still running buses when everybody else is cutting them out? Uh, still, still having uh, Sunday school, still having Sunday night, Wednesday. You'd be surprised how many churches aren't compromising, quitting out of the ministry. Many times missionaries come back on furlough and they have to spend most of the furlough getting more support because the church has already dropped them, turned over, split, splattered, and splint, and the, and the preacher's not even in the ministry. And so what an encouragement is to our missionaries that we stay faithful and that we live by faith. Does your faith ever stir other believers? There's the question of the night. Does your faith stir other believers? Listen uh, to a story about a great man of faith named Hudson Taylor. Uh, when Hudson Taylor first went to China, he was in a sailing vessel very close to the shore of Cannibal Islands. And the ship was calm and, and it was uh, slowly drifting sh sh shoreward, unable to go about, and the savages were eagerly anticipating a feast. There were going to be supper. The captain came to Mr. Taylor and besought him to pray for the help of God. And this is his response. I will, said Taylor, provided you set your sails to catch the breeze. That you set your sails to catch the breeze. The captain declined to make himself a laughingstock by unfurling in a dead calm the sails. And Taylor said, I will not undertake to pray for the vessel unless you prepare the sails. And it was done. And while engaged in prayer, there was a knock at the door of the stateroom. Who is there? The captain's voice responded. Are you still praying for the wind? Yes. Well, said the captain, you better stop praying. We have more wind than we can manage. And I want to tell you something. Has your faith filled the sails of some other believer? I mean, is your life a challenge? Is your life a testimony? I'm talking about tonight, 
the testimony of strong faith. It affects more people than you think. And folks, you might not think you're doing any good, but I want to tell you something. Strong faith is not moved by trials. Strong faith bears an excellent testimony. And third of all, strong faith stirs the heart of others. It even stirred the Apostle Paul. Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Live by faith. Amen? Let me go on real quick. We'll skip some of this because uh, I did preach some of it last week. But I want you to say, fourth, fourth of all, there's uh, Paul's prayer uh, to Jesus. He begins to pray. This stirred him to pray. And I want to tell you something. This is one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. And it's only one sentence long. It says, night and day praying exceedingly that you might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now, folks, we ought to pray a lot about other people's faith, but we ought to pray about our own faith. We ought to pray with the disciples, increase our faith. And a lot of times, I think we pray by feelings. I believe we operate by feelings. We also operate by figuring. And then we sometimes operate by finagling. That's a South Georgia word that means you try to do it yourself. And folks, I want to tell you something. You can't do it yourself. You must live by faith. And you must operate by faith. But you need to pray by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, for it's impossible to please God except by faith. And it says, coming unto him, believing that he is. Not that he was or that he's going to be, but he is. He is the I am. Can somebody say amen? He's the I am in your life. He is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's a beautiful description of prayer. Coming unto him believing he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, 6 says it's impossible, please God, without faith, but it's impossible to have faith and not pray. And as you pray, it's impossible to have your prayers answered unless you have faith. It's a divine cycle, amen? It's a beautiful uh, act of faith coming to God saying, Lord, I believe you are, and I believe that you're able. And Lord, I'm just going to yield to you. This is this dear missionary lady said, and I'm just going to give you my entire life, whatever you want me to do. And it's probably shocking to her pastor, because I wouldn't want to give up a pianist and a singer like that. It was probably shocking to her parents. Can you imagine that? Amen. But I want to tell you something. Thank God. Thank God she's going anyway, and she's 36% that, that way. That's great faith. I, I admire that. So Paul's prayer is a great prayer, and it reveals God. This prayer reveals who God is and who Christ is. Paul prays, listen to this, now God himself, he said, now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Now he's praying not just for a ticket back to Thessalonica. He's praying to God. Folks, listen, we need to realize who we're praying to. If you're going to have strong faith, you need to realize you're not praying to your cart boy and you're not praying to your servant. You're praying to the living God that has a will for your life and you need to get a hold of God's will. We don't wrestle God's reluctance. We get a hold of God's willingness. Say amen. And thank God, friend, we need to get a hold of God. God himself, the supreme, majestic being of the world, the creator, the sustainer, Folks, God who rules and reigns is how we ought to pray. I once heard a guy uh, pray something like this, uh, you know, some slang term like God was upstairs, like he's up in the attic somewhere. And folks, he's much more than that. 
He's much more than a swear word. He's much more than a flippant prayer. Folks, he's an almighty God. And we need to come to him with reverence. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I've heard a lot of people try to impress people with prayers. And folks, I want to tell you something. That's, that's so pitiful because really you're praying to yourself. As the rich man that was building bigger barns prayed that he have big, more barns. And he was trying to be impressive in his prayer. You ever tried to be impressive in your prayer? Stop impressing people and impress God with sincerity and brokenness. Sometimes you can't even utter a word. And that's not prayer tongues either. That's just he, uh, Romans 8, 26, where the Bible says he intercedes for you with groanings that cannot be uttered. And they, and they mistranslate that charismatic and make it some kind of prayer tongue. It's not, that's, not exact, that's not exactly it. In fact, it's the opposite of that. We need to realize God does not bring attention to, you, to a person when you pray. God does not want you to get the glory when you pray. The only prayer God will answer is for his glory. So it reveals who God is. And folks, the amount of reverence and praise and faith that we have magnifies God. He is, he is uh, pleased with great prayers, great faith, great requests. Well, open our mouth wide and open our hearts wide and request things that we could never do. Well, that's prayer. Then pray, uh, Paul prays to this. He says, he says to God himself and then our Father. Now that brings it close. Brings him close. And he is close. It's an intimate relationship. There is no one that can pray because you join the church. There's nobody can pray because you're Catholic or Baptist. You pray because he's your father. You're his child. It's a family privilege. I don't believe God answers any prayers before you're saved except God be merciful to me, a sinner, the sinner's prayer. And then when you get saved, God blesses his children. Say amen. I'll never forget my children. They always love to go home with somebody on Sunday afternoon. I don't know if I'm a bad father or what, but, man, they thought it was a big deal, usually because we didn't go out and eat. And this family always went out and eat, so they'd line up. And then they would always say, Daddy, give me. We, we're, going, we're going to go do this and do that. I said, my word, that's great. Uh, go ahead. And they asked me for money. And I remember one time uh, he said, can I have five? Stephen was a little fellow then. He said, can I have five, Daddy? And then about five, I looked around, about five or six other children lined up, and they were calling me Daddy and said, can I have five? I said, I'm not your Daddy. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. It's a privilege to have a God that's generous and loving and caring, and he doesn't just give you what you want. He gives you what you need. He meets your needs, not your greeds, according to his riches and glory. So he's a father. He, he's, he's a God that rules, but he's an intimate father. He's with us. He loves us. He cares for us, and he wants to meet your needs. And so I believe you ought to get a hold of God's will. It's God's will for your children to be right with God. It's God's will for your uh, relatives to be saved this, this Thanksgiving. It's God's will uh, for... Um, uh, uh, for people to serve him and love him and glorify him. And you ought to pray that way. You ought to pray by faith. You ought to believe it's going to happen. Then third of all, Paul prayed to our Lord Jesus Christ. To our Lord. He's the supreme Lord. But it didn't say just to our Lord. It said Jesus. When you get the word Jesus, uh, that reminds us that he gave up heaven. And he came to this earth. And he came to this earth as the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he became a man for us. 
and he came to this earth to redeem us and to buy us and folks to purchase us with his blood that was shed at Calvary. Folks, the Lord Jesus, we ought to pray in light of his birth, his sinless life, his death, his resurrection, amen? He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Don't you think he can take care of your problems, amen? And take care of you if you'll submit. And so, folks, to our Lord Jesus, and then I love this next word, Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. That's what Christ means. And, folks, Paul was praying to God the Father to direct and guide his ways back to Thessalonica. But he was, he was reminding them, I'm praying to God himself. And I'm praying to our Father. And I'm praying to our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, what a powerful statement about his prayer life. Paul prayed night and day. Well, that's good, but you can pray night and day and all day and all night if you want to. But if you don't believe God and believe in God and believe who he is, that he's rewarded them that diligently seek you, you won't have your prayers answered. And if you don't pray for his glory. A lot of times we pray for our mess that we're in to get us out of it. We pray God fix it. He's more than a handyman. He's more than, he's more than emergency rations. He's daily bread. And he's king of kings and lord of lords. And folks, if we can get a hold of his majesty and get a hold of his omnipotence and his omniscience, folks, God will bless your life in a tremendous way. And so, folks, we need to get a hold of God as the Lord Jesus Christ and then direct our paths unto you. But I want you to see something else. He not only prayed to the great God, the God and Jesus Christ, God, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father, but he prayed for the greatest need. One of the greatest needs. I think this equal to faith. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's greater than faith, but I believe faith, hope, and love evaluates your Christian life. Again, I want you to challenge, I want to challenge you to take every epistle. Even this First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Remembering, look at chapter 1, verse 3. It's remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Folks, he's saying, hey, listen, I just want to remember that you're living by faith. You're, you're loving. You've got a labor of love, and you have patience of hope. You want to evaluate your Christian life, how much faith do you have, how much love do you have, and how much hope do you have? That's the, that's the key. But the greatest need, Paul prays in verse 12. This is the greatest need in your life. And folks, I want to tell you something. When you face the judgment seat of Christ, you better pray to God that this is evident in your life or everything's in vain. It says, and the Lord make you to increase and bound in love, one towards another, and towards all men, even as we do towards you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, what a great what great God he was praying to, but what a great need he was praying about. Paul's prayer is for the supreme need of every believer. And that need, of course, is faith, but it's love. We need to love. We need to grow in our love. We need to love more and more in our Christian life. We need to increase and abound in love. We need to excel and overflow in love. Folks, we need to realize that we need to love 
abounding, overflowing. God never fills you with the Spirit for a filling. God never fills you for a for a accolade or for a, a, a reward in your own selfishness. God always fills you to overflow. God always fills you to be a witness. Acts 1.8. He said he baptized the Holy Ghost that you might be witnesses. That you shall be witnesses. And folks, the only way you can be a witness is you love people. It's hard today. And I'll tell you what, it was harder in that day to love all men. They were being beat. They were being scourged. They were being uh, fed to lions and they were being persecuted. They were put in prison. Their own countrymen were turning against them for, for coming out of Judaism and, and, and being converted and being saved. And so the government was on them and their own people were on them as we preached um, Sunday morning out of Hebrews chapter 13. But I want to tell you something, friend. The greatest need you have is you love people that hurt you. Now, it's easy to love people that help you. And but folks, I want to tell you something. You, the Bible says, I'm praying for you night and day. I'm praying to the Father. I'm praying to God himself. I'm praying for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and I, I, want to make, I, want to make, I want the Lord to make you to increase and abound in love towards another. You know, it's a sad testimony when churches start devouring each other. We're the only army that shoots the wounded. Folks, we ought to be fellow laborers, fellow servants, and folks, we ought to be loving each other as a church family like no other body of believers. We ought to be loving each other. And that encourages each other. That strengthens each other. It comforted Paul's life. He was being persecuted. He left town uh, so, that, so the persecution would let up in Thessalonica, and it didn't because they were against the gospel. They were against Jesus. And so he said, I want you to know you ought to love each other and excel and overflow in that love. And then you need to love towards all men. The oppressor, the sinner, the enemy, the hateful, the unattractive, he's praying that they'd love them. Now, how is this possible? Well, it's called agape love. We used to have a bookstore downtown called Agape. That's a good name for a bookstore. Agape, Bat, I don't know, it's Agape uh, Bookstore. And uh, all the rednecks around here called it a gate. There's an old gate bookstore, you know, amen. It's not a gate, it's Agape. It means Christ-like. Those who, uh, we ought to love people that ignore us. We ought to love people that neglect us. We ought to love people that shamely treat us. And it only comes from God. Uh, John 13, turn with me real quick. In verse 34 and 35. John 13, 34 35. I'm going to tell you something, friend. The badge of discipleship is love. If you're a disciple of Christ, you're known for one thing. Above all things, besides faith and hope, you're known that you love people, that you love sinners. And that ultimately you love God. That's why you love sinners. But look at verse, chapter 13, verse 34. It says, a new commandment I've given to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. What a standard. We love people like Christ loved us. That means we don't hold grudges. That means we're not full of bitterness. That means we forgive those that hate us and despitefully use us. 
But look at verse 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, folks, that's only possible through the Lord. 1 John 4, 7 says, uh, Beloved, uh, let, me, let me read it to you. First John 4, 8 says, God is love. But 1 John 4, 7 says this. We used to sing it as a song around here. Um, I went up to Alaska and preached a couple of years ago, and all they did was sing Scripture. They didn't sing any other kind of hymns, nothing. It was all Scripture. It was wonderful. But look at uh, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. The Bible says this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Folks, the Bible says you, you, if, if you don't love others, you don't know God. And the Bible says in 1 uh, John 3, 18, uh, that um, uh, it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We need to put feet on our prayers. We need to put feet on our love. Amen. Uh, 1 John 3, 14 says, We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. He that, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Folks, that means there's a, there's a, there's a birth sign. There's a birthmark for every Christian. <clears throat> what is that? Love. The love is the, is the <clears throat> proof of all genuineness. 1 Corinthians 13 <clears throat> gives seven attributes, uh, seven great things like uh, uh, sensationalism and, and um, uh, sacrifice. As if, if though I bestow all my goods and, fi and feed the poor and I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Seven great attributes in verse 1 through 3. And then it says, if you don't have love, it's nothing. Seven minus one equals zero in these verses. You have all these things. You, can get, you have a gift of prophecy, knowledge, move mountains, sacrifice. You can be a martyr. If you don't have love, it's nothing. You're a sounding brass and a tinkling symbol. Love's proof of, of life obedience. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the queen of all graces. Grace of these is love. Love is proof positive evidence that you're a disciple. Love is the criteria for the judgment seat. You'll face him, give an account of loving others. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, and not only for me, but all those that love his appearing. And so, folks, the criteria for uh, the judgment seat of Christ is, did you do it for the love and glory of God? It's the light of the local church, love. He says you ought to return into your first love or I'll take the light, the candle out of the church. Revelation chapter 3, 2, verse 1 through 7. It's motive power for service. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says I was constrained by his love. Folks, listen. It's a sign of true repentance. Peter came back to Jesus. What did Jesus ask him? Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Peter, do you love me? Well, then feed my lambs. And so let me just close. My time's up. But I want you to know, friend, love is supernatural. Go back to our text, and I'll close. First John, or for, uh, First Thessalonians, please. First Thessalonians chapter 3. It says, and I'm praying to the Lord Jesus Christ 
praying to God himself and, and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, direct our, my way unto you because he loved him. He wanted to check on him. He wanted to be back with him as pastor. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one towards another and towards all men because they're being persecuted and as we do towards you. And so, folks, it's uh, more than a passionate love. That's heiress love. That's physical love. It's more than affectionate love. The word story is parent-child love. It's more endearing love. That's phileo, husband and wife love. But it's selfless, sacrificial love. Loving the person who is unworthy of being loved. It's Christ-like love. And folks, I want to tell you something. The source is the Lord. And there's something about the agape, Christ-like love that's so supernatural, it's so selfless. It brings so much glory to God. And folks, it's an act of faith. Sometimes you have to love people by faith, not by feelings. It's a love of God for the ungodly. 1 John 5, 6. Uh, if you'll turn to Romans real quick. Uh, I got about three minutes. I think I can bring these three verses uh, in and close it. But look at look at uh, First John uh, Romans chapter five, and y'all know the you know the whole chapter, but it's just wonderful. Um, and and look at verse six. We, we we do verse eight and soul winning all the time, but in Romans chapter five and verse six, the Bible says, "For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly." What a love! The, what a love the ungodly. That's hard. That's impossible. And then look at verse 8. It is love of God that for unworthy sinners. It said, but God commended his love towards us, and while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's love of God for unworthy sinners. And then last but not least, it's the love of God to undeserving enemies of the cross. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's a love of God to undeserving enemies. It can't be experienced only by knowing God personally. Only being filled with the spirit of God. The fruit of the spirit is love. It's an overflow. Let me just give you one more verse. Romans 5, 5. And hope, here he is going on this hope, love, faith. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Folks, agape love is selfless love, but it's supernatural love. Folks, it's a love that we do not have. We cannot conjure up. We cannot manufacture it. We cannot talk ourselves into it. We cannot discipline ourselves to love people that hurt us, that spitefully use us. And folks, it's so selfless. It's the greatest possession and gift of a human life, according to 1 Corinthians 13. It's so selfless. It's the greatest thing in all life, according to the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31. It's the greatest commandment. It's the greatest fulfillment of life. Dr. Halbert You'll like this. A missionary of the Church of England in the south of Africa, from the top of a neighboring hill, I didn't know she was coming by, 
Dr. Halbert, a missionary of the Church of England in South Africa, from the top of a neighboring hill saw lepers at work. And he noticed two particular, sowing peas in a field. One had no hands and the other had no feet. And these members being wasted away by this disease, the one who wanted hands were carrying the other who wanted the feet upon his back. And he again carried the bag of seeds. And he dropped a pea every now and then, which the other pressed into the ground with his feet. And so they managed the work of one man between two. Such should be the true union of members in Christ's body which all the members should have the same care one for another. And it's, a, it's a shame that a lot of churches can't get along because of politics in the church, because of division, because of schisms, because of classism, because holier-than-thou Christians won't speak to those that come on the bus. And I want to tell you something, friends. It's a shame and disgrace that we don't see that we're part of the body of Christ that God uses the hand as well as he uses the feet. And folks, we should, we should compliment each other and we ought to love each other and we ought to realize there's, there's something you can do that somebody else can't do, but when we all do what we need to do out of love and for God's glory, God plants the seed and God gets the increase and God gets the glory. Folks, we need to love one another more than ever. We need to love God more than ever. We need to love those that hurt us. And I want to tell you this, we need to love people that hurt God by taking their lives and robbing God of all his glory and trying to live for their selfishness and sinfulness and their self and their vain glory and to get ahead in this world. We need to love them because somebody loved you when you was just like them. And thank God Paul was saying, I'm praying that you are bound in the supernatural agape love of God because when you come to the judgment seat of Christ you'll give account of what you did when you did it but you'll give account of why you did what you did and it ought to be for the love of God and the glory of God let's pray Father thank you for this wonderful chapter so convicting Lord thank you for each time that your faith is mentioned God, we understand our faith is very important. But God, help us to realize our love is very important too. And it's not our love, it's your love through us as unworthy vessels, sinners saved by the grace of God. And Lord, none of us uh, can pat ourselves on the back and say that we're qualified to serve you. But God, we thank you for using us. And we thank you for using this church to encourage one another. And thank you, dear God, for souls being saved. God, may we stay humble during this time that the world's full of hate and division. May we, dear God, love one another as you love us. May we love souls all because we love you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment of invitation, let me say, preacher, tonight, I, want, I need more faith, but I need more love. And I want to yield more of my life as a vessel a channel of God's love. And I need prayer in that area. Would you slip your hand up high for prayer? God bless you. I got to raise mine. I got to raise both mine. I need more love. I need more compassion. It makes a difference. Father,
thank you for the good response. Lord, we didn't preach for response. We preach, God, for your response. Please you. God, I thank you for people to listen. I thank you for people that's come to encourage and strengthen one another by their presence. But God, I thank you, dear Lord, for coming to us when we were unworthy sinners, bound for hell, that you redeemed us because you loved us and that you still love us. You have a great plan for our lives. Pray, dear God, that you'd use our visiting missionary. God, that you'd use our visitors. And God, touch the hearts of these young people that sit on the front row while I go. And I pray, God, the Word of God would pierce their heart. They'd realize they're wasting their life if they're living for themselves or for sin. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to love others like you love us. And we'll praise you for the miracle of you in us overflowing to a lost and dying world. God, may you be who you are through us. We'll praise you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.